Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, whenever you may be listening to this. Welcome back. Uh, okay, here's what I have planned. This may be a bit shorter, but I have a great deal of stories to bring up here recently regarding violence in American schools. This, of course, is my forte. This is a subject for which I've written numerous books about. I have a great deal of experience in this subject. And uh, again, it was the basis of my graduate school research and a number of other things, of course, that I've done over the years. And there are numerous stories all of a sudden here within the last couple of weeks that have really sort of proven a great deal of points, not just that American K-12 schools are dangerous, but they are designed to be dangerous and that the people who work within know nothing about violence, the sin of violence, the psychology behind violence, and then, of course, the, the policies that they themselves put into place that basically make the entire thing far worse than what it needs to be. And there are many hooks that are in these individuals and in these institutions that keep them violent again on purpose. Because creating this division is designed to dumb down not just the students, but the people who work within. This, as you might imagine, is also one of the major reasons for the high turnover rate in the field of education. So I'm going to break down a great deal of examples and current examples as to why that's the case and what's going on with that. But first, before I do, I came across this on Zero Hedge, and I want to read through this uh, very quickly if I can. This has to do with the central bank digital currency. Now, as you know, Dr. Robin McCutcheon has been on the show numerous times. Uh, she's a good friend, and we've known each other for at least a few years now. And, uh, and this is something, of course, that she's spoken about at great length, and she speaks about in her own classes. And one of the things here with the digital currency is that they are making very small inroads on a consistent basis. And they're doing this because they know that if they hit everybody over the head with it at once, it's going to be not easily digestible and certainly not well received. Again, one of the ways that they control this entire market as much as they can is by slow rolling all of their plans. So they make a few gains here and then they back off and then they make a few more gains here and it's just one inch at a time. So here's what this particular article states. It is titled, IMF Released Digital Currency Handbook for World's Central Banks. It says the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, released a handbook for global central banks regarding the development and implementation of central bank digital currencies. Again, they're normalizing this now with a handbook for everybody to read and take a look at. It says the IMF's Central Bank Digital Currency Virtual Handbook, published last week, and they have a link to it, pointed out that the increased use of central bank digital currencies can, quote, reduce dollarization of the global economy, a situation where countries move away from relying on the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. De-dollarization would push up borrowing costs in the United States, i.e. debt making loans expensive for businesses and individuals, thus affecting economic growth. Stock market values can also crash, reducing the savings and investments of Americans. Now, a little further down in the article, this has to do with specifically with the U.S. government. It says, while the IMF 
pushes ahead with the promotion of CBDCs, Republican lawmakers are taking steps to prevent the U.S. government from issuing such digital currencies. In September, Representative Tom Emmer, a Republican from Minnesota, reintroduced the CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act. And then in, in a September 12th press release, Mr. Emmer pointed out that unlike decentralized cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, CBDC, CBDCs rather, are designed and issued by a government and transact on a digital ledger that is controlled by the government. This could give the administration the power to surveil Americans' transactions and choke out political unpopular activity. They're already doing this. This is already happening. In fact, there was an excellent interview just the other day on the Stu Peters show where two of the individuals associated with Gab Pay on Andrew Torba's social media platform Gab were specifically talking about this. I mean, Andrew Torba has already been the victim of this banking cartel coming after people who, uh, you know, engage in free speech. And, and basically say what they want to say when they want to say it. And hey, if you criticize anybody, in particular the moneylenders, uh, they can lock you out of a bank right now. They can, they can keep you from doing any kind of banking whatsoever within any of these banks. So that's not a new thing, unfortunately. That's something that's already occurring. And again, if you need more proof that we live in a totalitarian country, and certainly a world, where individuals are trying to strangle us both financially and uh, medically and every other possible way you can conceive, well, that should be more proof right there. But here's what the bill imposes, and it imp apparently imposes the following prohibitions. It prevents the U.S. Federal Reserve from issuing a CBDC directly to individuals, thus making sure that the Fed cannot mobilize itself as a retail bank and collect personal data of Americans. Again, I, I think this already happens. The next point is it says it prohibits the Fed from indirectly issuing a CBDC to individuals via an intermediary, thereby blocking the central bank from launching a retail digital currency through a two-tiered financial system. And then finally, it says it bans the Fed from using any CBDC to implement its monetary policy. This ensures that the central bank is not just able to use these currencies as a tool to control the American economy, quote-unquote. It then says in March of 2022, Joe Biden signed an executive order asking the Fed to continue its ongoing research and experimentation of CBDCs and to evaluate the benefits and risks of a digital dollar. Just talking about the issue... Mr. Emmer said that, quote, agency reports to that executive order have, been, have made it clear that the Biden administration is not only itching to create a CBDC, but they are willing to trade Americans' rights to financial privacy for a surveillance-style central bank digital currency, unquote. It then says, quote, we're not going to let this happen, he said. The CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act ensures the United States digital currency policy is in the hands of the American people, not the administrative state, so that it reflects our American values and privacy, individual sovereignty, and free market competitiveness, unquote. Then says on September 20th, the House Financial Services Committee passed the bill. Back in April, 
Federal Reserve Board member Michelle Bowman warned in a speech that the CBDC may pose significant risks, challenges, and trade-offs. There is a risk that the CBDC would provide not only a window into, but potentially an impediment to, the freedom Americans enjoy in choosing how money and resources are used and invested. It then wraps up here and it says a CBDC could also lead to the polarization of the payments system, potentially undermining the independence of the Fed, Ms. Bowman said. And then in May, Florida's House of Representatives passed a bill banning the use of CBDCs in the state, and the bill defined money to exclude CBDC. It then says weeks before the bill passed, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had pointed to China as a potential example of how CBDCs could negatively affect people. Quote, look no further than China, he said, in seeing the impact of centralized digital currency. The People's Bank of China uses its central banks to monitor citizen behavior, allowing for the surveillance of spending habits and to cut off access to goods and services, unquote. Again, this is already happening. I mean, you even have these private money donation websites, of course, like GoFundMe. We've heard of all of these stories. Individuals will get on there, they'll be raising money for a very noble cause, and then all of a sudden GoFundMe will shut them down completely and say, yeah, you can't raise money on our platform. Well, banks do the exact same thing, and they already, they already do the exact same thing. Again, Andrew Torb is a perfect example. And it's, again, it's not just the individual, as we all know. It has everything to do with what the individual stands for. And as a result of what Andrew Torba and Gab stand for is free speech no matter what, as long as you're not trying to kill somebody. So there's always a direct correlation between, of course, these organizations, what they're trying to push forward, and then, of course, what they don't like. And every single move that they make, ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty crystal clear that they're making all of these moves because they don't like us. They don't like the United States. They don't like the Constitution. They don't like free speech. And they love totalitarianism. And that's the way that they want it. That's always the way that they want it. They want complete control over your ability to pump gas or cash a check. And then, of course, you have to ask yourself the question as to whether or not an individual in particular like Andrew Torba would ever have any legal, any legal recourse to go after these individuals who were refusing to allow him to use particular banks or use particular debit cards or credit cards or, or whatever it may be. It should also be very suspicious that, of course, this past week you had Joe Biden and Xi Jinping in California meeting in San Francisco for the APEC conference or whatever the hell that is. And uh, of course, Gavin Newsom, but then you had the CEOs of every flipping major company there, including MasterCard. Again, it's not an accident. They call it MasterCard. It's designed to be your master, the master over you, the financial system over you. And of course, Apple was there and BlackRock and the rest of them. So, they're making small inroads, but this is one of those subjects, again, where if they just drop it overnight, no one's really going to have any recourse. Everybody's just going to pretty much go along with it. At least that's the way that I see it, um, unless it's completely stopped dead in its tracks. And frankly, that has to be the way that it has to be. I, I don't know how plans like this get eliminated 
and I mean this very literally, um, and I'm not you know threatening anybody. I'm simply just saying I don't know how plans like this that are this entrenched in the totalitarian nature of the people who control the world, how the plans can change if the people aren't eliminated. The people who agree with these kinds of things need to be eliminated. I mean, if you eliminate the people that hold particular ideologies that are totalitarian, which you would think would be completely illegal everywhere, we're clearly seeing that that's not the case. And we're clearly seeing, and I hope even the asleep people are starting to recognize, that they're not in control of anything. Again, the the very nature of a CBDC is controlling in its own definition. It, it is a number. It can be manipulated. It can be turned off, turned on. And all you really have to do is just look at the amount of money that these banks take from us without us even knowing. They'll take 10 bucks or they'll take 11 bucks every couple of months and they'll say, well, it's just a service charge. You've been using our services as a bank and we're just taking a few bucks from you and you know, have a nice day. You have no recourse, by the way. You can't get that money back. You can't show up and complain because you signed on the dotted line. And in the very small print, it says, well, we get to take 10 or 11 or 12 or more dollars from you every now and again, whenever we see fit. If that's happening to just one person, which of course, it's not just happening to one person, it's happening to everybody. And as they said in the Stu Peters interview with, uh, again, these these guys that are attempting to build a parallel economy and have their own debit system and their own debit card and basically set up their own bank free from these central bankers uh you know they 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 fully understand that every single time that you use their cards and you use their services you're paying them and then of course what do they do with that money it really wasn't a very interesting discussion and i highly recommend checking that out but uh it was on uh Monday night's Stu Peters show. But it, it, again, it was, it was very interesting and very well done. It, just, it, it will boil down to who's going to use a parallel economy? Who's going to help squeeze out someone like a central bank digital currency and the people who, of course, support it? And then, of course, how and when do you get to eliminate totalitarians that are seeking to enslave everybody through debt and through money ownership? These are the same people, again, who fund the judges. These are the same people who own the law. These are the same people who write the law. I just don't understand why people think that uh, that they wouldn't be able to get away with this either. I, I feel like they certainly would, but there has to be some kind of intervention. Again, if, I mean, let's just let's just work this out very quickly. If we all sat in a room, and we were scheming and meddling on how to take over someone and enslave somebody, our, our door would get kicked in. And eventually we would be arrested for conspiracy because, again, conspiracy is a crime. But apparently it's not a crime when politicians do it. It's not a crime when politicians gather in a room and scheme and meddle and rub their hands together and basically figure out how they're going to rob you. Apparently that's, that's completely legal. And as long as they propose their totalitarian plans with verbiage or language usage that uh, you know doesn't sound too evil, then they get away with it. I just don't know when this all stops. And what is it going to take to actually make this all stop? I don't think it's legislation. 
I don't think we vote for people who are against this kind of thing because they're they're bought off. I just feel like there are options that haven't been utilized yet. I feel like there are things that haven't been done yet. There are things we haven't seen yet. That's why we are dissatisfied as a citizenry because we're watching ourselves be robbed on a constant basis and there there's zero recourse. Like I said, if we gathered in a room and we schemed and we meddled about trying to rob somebody or even kill someone, if we did that, we'd be arrested, but not them. They, they do it for fun. They do it for a living. And then they support each other and pay each other to do it while stealing from us at the exact same time. So they're making inroads on this. I'll just leave it at that for, uh, for right now. They're certainly making inroads. Again, I... I find it very, oh, I don't know, discouraging that, that that people would believe that American politicians would vote against such a thing. I think that they would vote for it, and they would say to themselves, "Well, it's it's convenient. You know, it's it's going to be a convenient way to pay for things. Most people do online banking anyway, and it's automatic transactions anyway. And you know, occasionally there's a there's a foul up, but for the most part, uh, you know, we really don't need cash." And, uh, you know, a digital currency can be regulated and X, Y, Z. Well, therein lies the problem. And, of course, we know their long-term plans, don't we? Their long-term plans have to do, again, with tracking what we say, what we speak about. And if we're not all saying the same thing at the same time, which, of course, is communism and totalitarianism, then we're, we're cast out. And then you can't spend any money you have, and you certainly won't be able to make it because you won't have anywhere to put it. Even if you keep it yourself, well, it would, be, it would be digitized. So you would have nothing in your hand. You'd have nothing that you can pay anybody with. Again, the gold and silver market is an interesting market because it fluctuates, but even to this day, you can't walk in anywhere and give anybody a silver round, an ounce of silver, and say, here you go. I'll take uh, you know, my, my, grocery, my grocery cart full of milk or other things that I need to survive, so to speak. So go ahead and keep that. They're going to look at you like you're from Mars. They're not going to take gold and silver as, as currency, even though it is legal tender. They want it all digitized again because they want complete and utter control. And, and we know that, but uh, I just find it astounding that they all get to meet and eat lobster and steak and talk about how they're planning on killing all of us and nobody arrests them or even shoots them. I find that uh I find that odd, but who knows? Maybe maybe something will happen in the future that will shake things up a little bit. Time will tell. Okay. With that aside, let me dive into violence in school here. I could start this off basically a thousand different places, but I want to hone in on one particular thing, and it has to do with the presence of instincts. You may recall that in the last episode, I brought up this alleged top secret document that was found at a, at a Boeing plant back in the 80s, but it had to do with what was going on after World War II. And it again, specifically had to do with dumbing us all down and controlling all of us with what they called their silent weapons for quiet wars. So... There's no doubt in my mind that the death of instincts is exactly one of those things that they want with all human beings. They don't want us to be aware. They don't want us to be vigilant. They don't want us to pay attention to our surroundings. They want us hypnotized. 
This has always been one of their one of their plans and one of their ploys. The, the very presence of violence in school and the individuals who continue to send their children to these environments and make no mistake, every school is violent. There are varying degrees of violence, of course. And unfortunately, when a lot of people hear the term violence, they think immediately of physical violence. That is certainly one of the more prevalent forms of it. However, there is psychological violence without a doubt and the normalization of all of that. And this, unfortunately, is one of those avenues that many people are completely unaware of, which should prove to everybody how effective it is. Again, this is all designed to weaken a person's God-given instincts. We are animals, after all. We are born and bred to be able to see particular things, to sense danger, to stay away from particular areas, to look at a person's face and make a judgment. And that's not a bad thing. It's a survival skill. You know, this is one of those reasons why comic books exist, believe it or not. I remember back in college, we would, we would read, we, we actually read a very specific comic, uh, and I highly recommend it. It's, it's very well done. You don't even have to like comics to enjoy it. But um, the book itself was titled Kingdom Come, and it's a DC comic, and it's all the DC superheroes and all of that stuff. But we, we read it, and we analyzed it in one of our literature classes. And again, I took it as an education major. It was a night course, and that was the only book for the whole class. But what we did was, is we went through the entire book, and we, we honed in on a number of different themes that exist, not just throughout that book, but numerous books. And one of them, of course, is how people look. If you look at a villain, so to speak, or you look even at a hero, they have characteristics about them that are visual that you can see. You can open up any comic book you want for the most part, look at a person, and you can make a determination as to whether or not that character that is being depicted without even reading anything and reading any of the words, you can just look at their face or their body language or even the way that they're dressed or any visual marks that they may or may not have on their face or their body, and you can make a determination as to the motives of that individual. Is that someone that you want to listen to and believe or hang around? Or is that somebody that you want to distance yourself from? The school environment is no different. It is society. It's a younger version of of what society holds. And that's why it's built the way that it is, because it's designed to program both adults and children into looking a particular way, behaving a particular way, and then going along without really critically thinking. Now, what we also know is that the, the entire school environment is rampant with lying. It's just that they just lie, and they lie constantly. They always say that you know the safety and security is our number one concern, and then some kid gets killed, not in a fake school shooting, but really, really gets hurt. Um, you know, but then they'll, again, right afterwards, they'll say, well, safety and security is our number one concern. They don't even hear themselves talk. So if you have individuals running the environment, not admitting that the environment is is a violent one, and then you combine that with a lack of instincts that individuals have and the right to refuse to go or even attend, 
and they don't understand that they have those rights, that they get to not go, that they get to not attend. Again, that's a level of psychological manipulation that the environment feeds off of. It does it on purpose. It is a mental abuse institution. That is, that is what it is. That's what it's designed to be. And it physically abuses people as well. So let me get into a couple of examples here. First of all, this, had, this actually had to do with the daycare. So let's start very young. This is tossed to me by uh, our Louisiana educator, and this comes out of South Carolina. This was titled, Daycare Workers Encourage Toddlers to Beat Each Other in Prosperity, which is Prosperity, South Carolina, uh, deputies say. It says, deputies say that they discovered the children were instructed by the suspects to shove, pull, and hit other children. I'm going to play this story. Give this a listen in three, two, one. We are starting off in Newberry County tonight talking about something that happened at a daycare in Prosperity. And now two of the workers have been arrested. Walker Lawson has the story. The allegations of child abuse and neglect happened at Kids Unlimited in Prosperity, where the two women worked. Sheriff Lee Foster says the daycare reported the issue and is fully cooperating. I have no idea what the two daycare workers were thinking of. That was just abhorrent behavior. I, I just can't imagine why you would do this. The claims involved 27-year-old Erica Jones and 56-year-old Serena Caldwell. Both were in court today for a bond hearing, facing multiple counts of contributing to the delinquency of a minor and unlawful conduct towards a child. Sheriff Lee Foster says a total of 14 children were involved, all ages 3 and 4 years old. During the course of the investigation, deputies say they discovered the children were instructed by the suspects to shove, pull, and hit other children. And it first started out by uh, them saying that the teachers had promoted other students or other clients of the daycare to use violence to try to punish a child or make another child compliant. A parent of one of the victims spoke in the courtroom but didn't want to be on camera, saying their child was instructed to hit another kid. After he did, he was instructed to do it again. Sheriff Lee Foster says while there were no serious physical injuries to the children, harm has been done. Uh, we don't know at this time how much... Uh, uh, emotional or psychological damage could have been caused by this. We reached out to Kids Unlimited of Prosperity who sent a statement saying it was brought to the attention of our senior staff member that possible offensive behavior by two staff members may have occurred. After viewing security camera footage, the two staff members were immediately terminated. South Carolina Department of Social Services and the Newberry County Sheriff's Department were also immediately notified. Any further comments about this investigation will be coming from those two agencies. Reporting in Newberry, Walker Lawson, News 19, WLTX. Well, Jones and Caldwell were fired from their positions at Kids Unlimited on October 24th and placed on a verbal and no trespass notice. Bond was set today at $60,000 for Caldwell and $56,000 for Jones. Now again, I'm going to judge. Because that's my God-given right, and it's an instinct, and it's a human instinct, and we should not suppress that at all. The fact is, is if you looked at these two women, who are both black, 
and you actually had a conversation with them before you even sent your children there, if you have instincts, there's no way you would leave your children there. There's no way. Just looking at them would give them away as being individuals that would have a hard time rubbing two IQ points together, either individually or collectively. They look dangerous. They look like they belong in an orange jumpsuit cuffed. They just look like it. One of them has almost a shaved head with patches of hair all over the top of her head, and the other does not. And they both look like they haven't done anything wrong. Just lots of eye rolling when they were sitting in court and, uh, you know, it's a complete dismissal of anything that they had actually done. No remorse, clearly. Just like, oops, whatever. This is, this is the way that we always do things. Again, putting your children in a daycare setting, even a preschool setting, was designed and scripted by government in order to control your child. Again, anything to put pressure on the family to get the child out of the arms of the parents and teach them that government can do a better job than the parent can and that you need to rely on government to raise your child, well, there's your result. There's the result right there. So you have children who are most certainly minorities, minority children. I'm not saying that there aren't some white students who attend. There probably are. But at the exact same time, you're breeding violence into those young children. And when that happens at a young age, what does that mean regarding the long-term impact of everything? Well, we have a pretty good idea as to what that means. In fact, that actually gives me an opportunity here to, to bring up this particular individual. This was someone that I used throughout my dissertation and throughout my research when I was in graduate school, and I even referenced him in some of my books. But the individual whose research I came across when I was learning more and more about the history of violence in school and violence within these environments, and then, of course, what causes it, what leads up to it, et cetera, et cetera, was a, a guy by the name of Robert Agnew. Robert Agnew is a sociology professor and criminologist at Emory University, and he created a theory and expanded on a theory that is referred to as general strain theory. Now, just in the, in the very name, you can pretty much figure out exactly what it means. If you increase the levels of strain within an environment against the people within that environment, you're more likely to have a criminal in the future. But it's not just a criminal, you're more likely to have just deviant behavior. It could be cheating, it could be stealing, it could be lying, it could be a number of different things. And of course, varying degrees of severity on a, on a, on a very wide spectrum. But one of the things that he consistently references within his books, and I should say that one of one of the books, of course, that he that he wrote that uh, that I used to own and and again reference with regularity was a book titled "Pressured into Crime: An Overview of General Strain Theory," and it was uh, it was published in two thousand six. It really is fantastic, and one of the things that he did was is he would talk with youth. And he would basically say, you know, okay, d describe your general day and describe the people and the places where, where you exist within a general day. And of course, one of those places were, were schools. And when they were inside of these schools with regularity, they were constantly 
witnessing strain and experiencing strain and none of that is healthy as you as you might imagine again it's it's rather uh it's rather self-explanatory so i'm not going to describe it too much further but he did spend a great deal of time talking with youth and getting their perspectives on what it is that they were experiencing and one of the things of course that he witnessed was is a slow decline in their mental capacity to tolerate the environment but also at the exact same time not only were they getting more angry with the environment when they were in the environment but they were becoming angry before they would even enter the environment they would be angry after leaving the environment and then that anger would manifest itself in a number of different ways regarding a number of different habits or things that they would do throughout their daily life and again sometimes this comes about among individuals who are who are very hypersensitive and they have instincts uh, and, and they know that the environment that they're walking into is remarkably unhealthy and remarkably dangerous. But unfortunately, there are people who have no clue. And this really is one of the more unfortunate parts. You have individuals who run these environments and they have no clue. If the people who run the environments don't think that they're violent, don't think that the lying and the psychological manipulation that takes place among students and staff is problematic and is really the foundational aspect of all of their problems, well, then nothing's going to change. So again, all you have to ask yourself is, have schools gotten better over the last 30 years or have they gotten worse? How about the last 60 years? How about longer than that? They're not getting better. They're getting worse. And it's because of general strain. Again, it is the foundation of the entire environment. It's dependent on strain because, again, you have people in these environments who have no idea what the hell they're doing. That leads me to this next story. This was on the Gateway Pundit. My apologies for the reference, but this was earlier this week. It's titled Horror Helpless Georgia Girl Stabbed Multiple Times at School, Leaving Her with Life Altering Injuries. Lawsuit alleges school did nothing to protect the victim and violated district policy. Again, this is not a new thing. Schools consistently hiding discipline numbers, uh, incidents of discipline, and even deleting them when they are made and when the reports are made is standard practice within these environments. It's constant. Now, was this girl attacked by, she's a white girl, was she attacked by anybody who was white? No. These were black males and black females who were doing the attacking. I'm just going to read the intro here, and then I'm going to play a little bit uh, of the audio from the girl's lawyer. It says, a lawsuit along with a leaked video has revealed that an innocent Georgia girl was stabbed at, se stabbed at several times by a vicious youth during gym class this past spring. Now the parents want the school to pay for failing to protect their daughter after she suffered life-altering injuries resulting from the evil attack. Again, they, w they have a lawsuit if they, can, if they can prove that the school was covering up violent incidents from this particular individual who did the attacking or within that specified environment. If they can, if they can prove that, which almost everybody can, then they certainly have a lawsuit. This, however, continues to be the problem with parents is that they, they send their children to these environments and they'll say this line. And I can't, I just, it, it, 
it just bothers me to no end. They'll send them to these environments and they'll say, well, I just expected my child to be safe. I don't expect things like this to happen to my child. I, I don't know how anybody can make such a claim, in particular today. These environments are not only violent, but they are microcosms of future society. And again, what's that look like right now to everybody? Does it look safe? Does it look healthy? Does it look like it's a like it's a place where people are going to be polite and learn civility and uh you know and and learn the truth about the world we live in? Of course not. It's dangerous. It's bloody. It's violent. That's what it is. Ultimately, the responsibility lies with the parents. And when something like this happens, yes, it's unfortunate. Yes, it's yes, it's not uh, it's not foreseen. But if this happened in normal society, someone would go to jail. Of course, at least you would hope so. You would hope that somebody would go to jail. But in many cases, there is no recourse in society. A person's attacked, and then they're stuck with their own medical bills based on the attack. And there's really not a whole lot that they can do outside of that. Sometimes it depends, of course, on who's involved and where it took place, and a number of other things, but. Either way, it continues here. It says, Law and Crime reported Friday that back on March 15th, a student at Ola Middle School was being harassed by a female bully while she was walking to gym class. They began fighting once they entered the gym. Unfortunately for the innocent girl, her tormentor had a knife and proceeded to stab her 14 times across her face, head, neck, shoulder, back, and chest. As one can see in the video, several students stare and seemingly cheer on the assault. So here's the comments from their lawyer. Uh, again, it looks like there's some rather severe damage to her left eye. Certainly that area of her face was was carved up pretty good. Um, yeah, but here's here's some comments from their lawyer. This lasts about six or seven minutes. Give this a listen in three, two, one. Ashley Wilson's daughter attended Olab Middle School in Henry County in March of 2023, this year. On March 14, 2023, unbeknownst to Ashley or her daughter, a school resource officer, police officer, was assigned to the school, received uh, a report that another student had a knife on campus and was threatening uh, another student. Threats not directed against Ashley's daughter, other students. The school resource officer reported this to administrators at the school. Um, Henry County policies uh, require that certain actions be taken when that type of information is received by administrators. However, that was not done. So the required uh, action was not taken in response to this report on March 14, 2023. The following morning, uh, an SRO again received notice that the same student had a knife on campus and was threatening students or a student. Again, passed that information on to administrators. And again, the required actions were not taken. Predictably, uh, the student was, in fact, attacked. Fortunately, um, Ms. Wilson and her daughter, it was Ms. Wilson's daughter who was. The victim of that attack, the attack resulted in 14 stab wounds and lacerations across um, Ashley's daughter's body, everything from her face to her neck to her 
back to her breasts. Uh, and she's to this day still recovering, both physically and emotionally. She required plastic surgery on several of the wounds which she's had, she, which she had at that time. Uh, the scar on her face is obviously probably the primary concern of the young lady. Uh, is you know, fairly noticeable. Uh, it remains noticeable to this day across her face. Yeah, our client's daughter was not the focus of the attack. There was um, bullying going on online prior to um, of a mutual friend of our, of, or I guess a friend of the client's uh, daughter. And it is our understanding that uh, the knife was brought on the 14th to do whatever to that friend. Uh, of course, the administrators knew the knife was on campus and did nothing. Um, and then the knife was brought back on the 15th to be used against that friend. Uh, and again, the administrators knew about it, did nothing. And so uh, what limited information that we have, the reason our client was even involved was it began from a inquiry about where this friend was. And then from there, this attacker harassed her, bullied her, followed her. And just like Adam said, what sparks the initial attack? That's that we don't have answers to why she stabbed her 14 times when all she's supposed to do is ask her where a friend is. We don't have answers to those questions. The bottom line, the case is based on the fact that there are written policies in place that um, govern how the administrators and other employees of the Henry County school system uh, are, uh, should uh, act in receiving certain types of information. Um, and, and they failed to do that here. So specifically, uh, in response to a report of a student having a dangerous weapon on campus, there's a requirement. It's, it's not a choice, but it's required that the administrators conduct an investigation. And it's required that a student who brings a dangerous weapon on the campus be expelled. Uh, and these things were not done. So even the most basic uh, initial step investigation would have prevented this from occurring. Uh, but for whatever reason, that was not done. So the basis of the lawsuit is the administrator's failure to comply with mandatory written procedures that are in place to keep our children safe when they are at school. First, uh, we're seeking justice for uh, our client's daughter, for Ashley's daughter. As I mentioned at the start here, uh, she's still recovering. Physically, she's made improvements, but is still recovering from the physical wounds. The mental and emotional wounds are definitely ongoing, and who knows how long she will suffer. The family's moved out of the county. Um, Ashley's daughter uh, has been homeschooled now. She is trying to get back to attending school in person with other students. That has been a difficult uh, process for her. She suffers uh, highly here emotionally and mentally since this. She's in therapy. And, and so uh, she deserves justice and compensation for what she's been through and will live with. Is a bigger burden, and that is the safety for all students, not only in Henry County, but throughout the entire state of Georgia.
and, and the adults who uh, we entrust our children to, you know, can't just wake up one day and say, well, I'm not going to follow that today. Well, it's safety through accountability, right? Um, you know, in the absence of accountability, it, it, conduct rewarded is conduct repeated. And so the fear is if they get to hide behind this legal loophole, then what incentive do they have to continue to follow their own policies and procedures? So the goal is to not only enforce it there in Henry County School District, but in doing so, send a message across Georgia. But administrators who don't follow their own guidelines to keep our children safe have no business being in the position that they're in, which is to primarily keep our children safe and keep the teachers, I mean, keep the teachers safe. Right. I mean, the teachers didn't know about this. Um, and so this should just like our client was a random victim. Who's to say it, it wouldn't have been a teacher. So not only are they putting all the children at risk, but in, by not following their, their mandatory rules, they put the ch- or they put the teachers at risk and all other employees at risk. Again, just very quickly, general strain theory is not a theory. It's very real. It is legitimate. It is a fact. In this particular case, again, you had at least two warnings that a student on campus, and they knew who it was, was possessing a knife, and they did nothing about it. That's a, that's a big problem. The second thing, of course, which is remarkably glaring, I think, and uh, very disappointing, and again, it leads right back to what I said earlier about instincts. The family has lost their ability, even after such an attack, to possess instincts because they are trying to still get their daughter back into a brick-and-mortar environment. And allegedly, the child themselves is claiming that that's where they want to go, that they want to go back to that kind of environment. But it's proving to be harder, so they, so they say. Well... That's not some kind of a mental roadblock in a negative way. That's her instincts kicking in saying, you don't belong here. You shouldn't go to these environments. These environments are dangerous. And you can see all of the different avenues of this girl's surroundings, I should say, that are influencing her to still go back. You have society saying that brick-and-mortar environments are the place to go. You have the lawyer describing the story as if going back to a brick-and-mortar environment is the healthy thing to do. And then you have the parents saying, well, she wants to go back and we, we support her decision. You need to stop allowing her or anybody else to make these decisions. This is the matrix, unfortunately. This is the brainwashing. This is the, in, this is the entire thing. This is exactly what happens on a day-in and day-out basis, is that people have it in their heads that these are the safest places to send your children. They clearly aren't. And you would think that after such an attack, that that entire family would understand that, but they still don't. That's how strong the matrix is. You can have your child carved up into small little pieces of cheese, but you'll still all want to send them back because that's the normal thing to do. That's the normal place to learn, quote unquote. That's where their future is. That's where their friends are. That's where the socialization takes place. You have to be kidding me. And then, of course, the administrators and every single individual, including the resource officer who knew, should be investigated. Those investigations, based on 
school board policy and based on district policy in every district, that means then that if they are under investigation, then all of the evidence of that investigation has to go right up to the state level, to the State Department of Education. And then there will be sanctions or punishment that are placed on their certifications. They should have their certifications revoked. That's what should happen. Is it going to happen? I have no idea. Is any of that going to happen? I have no I have no clue, but that's what should happen. And as the lawyer said again, you're putting other staff members in danger. That right there also breaks endless policies and contractual obligations. So they should certainly be out of the business. That's something that should happen. They should no longer hold certification to be a school teacher or an administrator and then of course they should be fired and then they should just be gone. And that's really about it. So a terrible example of, of how general strain can, can lead numerous individuals, again, to lose their instincts and then, of course, lose their inhibitions and at the exact same time engage in a high level of crime, borderline murder, because th- let's face it, that, that was attempted murder. And then, of course, you know what's happening with that individual? Are they in juvenile detention? They certainly should be. Uh, if not outright prison, and then of course, what's going to be the long-term punishment for them in the future? You know, God only knows on that one too. But there you go. That's the environment in a nutshell. And then again, to to want to send your child back to such an environment is beyond absurd. It just shows a complete absence of all instincts whatsoever. Now there's this, and this is just another example of how the entire environment can cave in. And even shut down as a result of violence in school. This was sent to me by a Virginia educator who has contributed to the show and uh, will hopefully be on in the near future here as they work at a university. But uh, this particular article is titled Charlottesville High School Closed on Friday and Will Remain Closed Until November 27th. This was from just a few days ago. It says Charlottesville City Schools closed Charlottesville Charlottesville High School on November 17th due to a shortage of people willing to work after a day where multiple fights broke out across the school. All other schools remained open. It says, quote, "Due due to an unusual number of staff absences and a limited number of substitutes, classes at Charlottesville High School will be canceled. Friday, November 17th, reads an email sent out in the early morning from Beth Check, if I'm saying that right, the supervisor of community relations. Later in the day, Charlottesville City Schools confirmed that the absences were related to a series of recent altercations. It says, quote, In some cases, these staff absences were precipitated by two related fights yesterday, as well as a number of other fights this school year among a small subset of students, reads the second email sent out at 2.58 p.m. This was signed by Superintendent Royal Gurley and outgoing school board chair James Bryant. Quote, these same students have often been tardy or absent from classes or otherwise disruptive, the message continued. While these students have received both supportive and strong disciplinary actions, the, uh, the situation remains. Now, you're probably asking yourself, why not just expel them then? 
Again, there was a time where if you fought in school, you were immediately expelled. That was that was the norm. That's the way that it was. Not the case now. They hang on to these children, and, the, and they're not students, so let's not call them that. They hang on to these people, these bodies, because there's a price tag associated with all of them. And they actually believe that the school environment itself is a healthier place for them to remain as violent people, as opposed to being expelled and removed completely. But they fail to understand, and they all fail to understand this, all these schools. And the lawyer even alluded to it. When there are no, in the previous story that is, when there are no consequences for, for this kind of behavior, and ethical consequences, which of course in this case is expulsion, then you're going to get the same kind of behavior over and over again. And on top of that, what are you teaching everybody else who works in that environment? That that kind of behavior is tolerated. That it's fine. That this is the way that it is, and this is the way it's going to be, and that destroys the entire environment. All it takes, ladies and gentlemen, to bring down a business is one person who is a bad hire. That's it. If you hire one bad person and refuse to get rid of them, they can destroy a multi-million dollar business. If you maintain these individuals within your business, then what kind of a message again are you sending to anybody on the outside who's wanting to come in, but also what message are you sending to the people that are there on a constant day-in and day-out basis? It's demoralizing, but that's the environment. It's designed to demoralize. Here's what the email suggested regarding other corrective actions. They said, quote, crafting plans for community conversations with area leaders to address community issues that impact our schools. And yes, these are black students, if you were unaware. It says, quote, elevating the voices and perspectives of the overwhelming number of CHS students who are making good choices each day. That means gaslighting everybody into believing that the place is a great place to go to school. Constantly talk about our successes, and then we'll just ignore all the criminal behavior that takes place. That in itself is criminal behavior. When you hide criminal behavior, and you try to distract or deflect from what's actually happening in the environment, well, you're going to get more criminal behavior. It then says, clarifying our expectations and procedures for student and family behavior. (laughs) It's absolutely ridiculous. What does that even mean? They're not even following their own rules and their own policies. Why not just expel them? Why not just get rid of them? That would send a nice clear message to everybody. It then says, disciplining all students according to the state's guidelines to include suspension and expulsion. The simple fact that you have to reiterate that and say that again is absurd. Just do it. It says then, connecting students with the social and emotional support they need. No. No. You get rid of those who are uncivilized. You get them out. You keep the people who are civilized. You don't reward anybody for being civilized. That should be the expectation. What you do is is you permanently punish the people who refuse to be civilized. Again, I'm paraphrasing Thomas Jefferson here, but he openly stated, you can't educate everybody. 
Not everybody is educatable, and that's okay. And government shouldn't force the education on children, nor make it illegal if they choose to not be educated. Sometimes you just need street kids. Sometimes that's the way that it just has to be. So what? It's safer then for everybody who's still inside of a particular area, hopefully, of course, assuming that they're learning the truth and, you know, being healthy in other ways, which we know is not happening, but either way. The final point that they make here, the final suggestion, is building a network of alternative community and school programming available to those students for whom CHS is not fully meeting their needs. Do you see the way that they phrase that too? They're making excuses for the students who are refusing to be civilized people in what is supposed to be a civilized environment by claiming that the school just isn't meeting their needs. Yes, they're fighting all the time, but it's the school that's not meeting their needs. They're the victim. The violent students are always the victim. It says the email sent out on Friday stated that CHS would reopen on Monday, but one sent out on Saturday stated that the high school would be closed until after the Thanksgiving break. In response to messages from alum and parents who want to help, my God, I, I don't think you can help this. You have people, you know, you have the inmates running the asylum, and they're not following their own policies, let alone state law, so I, I don't know what they expect. Um, Again, they propose an academy, which, as we know, that particular word is usually used for alternative individuals and uh, and people who, again, are not civilized and don't understand how the environment operates. They they suggest a few other things. Again, more community conversations and more community programs, and let's get them all together and we'll talk and blah, blah, blah. None of that works. None of that will work. It's just the illusion of trying to solve a problem. Your problem is in the building. Your problem is with personnel who run the building. And then, of course, your problem are the students themselves and the refusal to get rid of them. It says the incidents have become an issue for conservative talk radio host and Republican consultant Rob Schilling, who has posted footage of four incidents on his blog, including yesterday's event. In September, the Charlottesville Daily Progress reported that the school system cracked down on the use of cell phones after two previous brawls were filmed and distributed online. School officials said that it was a part of a larger policy to improve education by eliminating distractions. My God, the very environment that invites the distractions is now fighting to eliminate them after people have gotten hurt. And, of course, they accept no responsibility. Shocking. It also says that the school board is going to welcome four new members who were recently elected to four-year terms. It says, quote, Please take some extra time to love your kids today and reflect on what you are doing to be a part of the solution, wrote Amanda Burns on her Facebook on Friday. Burns will enter office in January alongside Chris Meyer, Shamora Cooper, and Nicole Richardson. Again, it isn't going to matter. Who sits on a school board? You can't fix that particular problem. You can't fix it. Expulsions have to be recommended and then they have to be followed through with every single time. And board policy can change to where you are actually doing that more frequently and with regularity. I've also brought this up as well, certainly a long time ago. 
If I was ever the principal of a school building, that's one of the first moves you make. You gather every single employee and every single student into the exact same room on day one. And the principal of the building stands up there with a microphone in their hand and they say, Hi, you don't know me, but you're going to find out who I am. If any single one of you puts your hands on somebody else, or you harass or you engage in any kind of physical altercation, you're going to be expelled. That's it. We're not going to waste our time building a case on you. We're not going to say, well, it's a singular incident. No. We're going to tell you and your parents that you're done here. That's it. Again, I understand that people listening to that would say, well, Sean, that's breaking the law, and you can't do that as a, as a principal, and other people can't do that, and whatever else. You can always give them what I've referred to in the past as an exit packet. You just give them a packet of information about abeca.com, calverteducation.com, endless online homeschooling environments that certainly exist, and you say, this isn't the end of your life. You're actually being given a free ticket out of here. Everybody else who's still here is a slave, but you get to actually leave. We wish that you left on your own accord, but you chose to break the rules, you chose to break the law, we warned you, you still didn't heed that warning. Now here's your exit packet. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And then that's the end of it. But that doesn't happen. Principals who do that aren't allowed to do that in many cases. Superintendents don't support that kind of thing. School board members, again, you're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout most of these environments. Giving second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances to students who should be gone on day one. The very warning from a principal to an entire building like that, on day one, is everybody's warning. There's no other warning after that. There's just an I told you so, have a nice day, don't come back. That's the next thing that has to happen, but that doesn't happen. And that's why we're right back to square one. That's exactly why the school environment is the way that it is, continues to be remarkably unhealthy, again, not just based on the false curriculum that gets taught, the lies that are believed and perpetuated, and all of the false attention that gets put into things that don't matter. All of that's bad enough. But when you have a culture that is in, that is in the DNA of the very people who run these institutions and facilitate them to cover up their own crimes and their own illegality, well, there's your problem. We've certainly seen, have we not, and I'm going to wrap this episode up here. I know it's kind of a shorter one, but we've certainly seen over the last three years what conformity can do and how deep the conformity exists within these environments. They all do what they're told to do. They all follow each other's lead. They're always comparing themselves to other school districts in other places. They'll always throw each other under the bus. They'll say, well, we're better than this school district, or they're not as good as us, or whatever it may be. Well, at least we don't do that over there the way that they do. They always have an excuse. And again, we've seen that regarding the COVID lie over the last three years. No one's accepted any responsibility because that's the environment. Those are the kinds of people that work in these environments on a day-in and day-out basis, and certainly the ones who run these environments. Then you add the element of the CIA, and you add the element of how the entire environment is designed to control the people who work within, 
And then you have to rest with the simple fact that it's all being done on purpose. Once you come to that realization, it's game over. You see, the people who work in these environments and the administrators that work within, they have no idea that they're being manipulated by people way above them. They have no idea that this has all been written out in government documents. They have no idea that the reason that everything is changing on a constant basis in these environments, and yet endless things remain the same and nothing is getting better, they don't even question it. They don't even sit back and say, wait a minute. I've been working in this environment for 20 years. Things are worse. They're more violent. They're more divisive. We're having to do more with less. And it's always been this way and getting worse. Why is that? Is somebody else pulling the strings? The answer to that is yes. Because that's always been the case. It's designed to demoralize, brainwash, be a violent, divisive environment. And the only way to free yourself from it is to walk away permanently. That's it. You don't want to be any variation of the stories that I mentioned here in this particular episode. You certainly don't want to throw your kids into a daycare. I don't recommend that at all for any reason. I don't recommend it for preschool either. Preschool is useless. You certainly don't want to send them into an environment where there may or may not be a known threat. And again, you can just look at the environment and look at the kinds of students that enter that environment. And if you have instincts left, then, well, you can make a determination as to whether or not you think that that's a safe environment. But then again, if it's a school, the answer is no, it's not a safe environment. doesn't matter where it is. And then, of course, if they get hurt, if, if your child gets hurt in that environment, you don't ever want to send them back. Not ever. And you don't want to leave that choice up to the student. Well, I want to go back and make friends, and I want to do this. No. No. You keep them out. And you allow them to educate themselves by list, hopefully listening to this show. Again, this show right here is a perfect example of what that middle school female student who is carved up into pieces, that she, this is exactly what she should be listening to. This is exactly what her parents should be listening to, but they'll never find this show. They'll never find it. They have no idea that they're the subject of, of endless podcasts, probably, but certainly mine. That right there is rather revealing. That's how, that's how, that's how strong the matrix is. It keeps them away from learning the truth about everything that they're experiencing and understanding that the, the, the real factual answer is remarkably objective and remarkably simple. They don't know that books are written about this. They don't know that research has been conducted about this. And they don't know, of course, the nefarious beginnings of the entire school system itself. And then, of course, government infiltration from three-letter agencies. They don't have a clue. But everybody that I just mentioned in this truly is the victim of all of that because all of that is designed. It's a giant play. It's a giant stage. They're on it and they have no idea that it's being orchestrated by other people. So here's what I'm going to do. For Friday's episode, and I've decided I'm, I'm going to have a Friday episode, uh, you can listen to it if you'd like. I, I highly recommend it, but it's come to my attention that I don't think that I've gone from beginning to end 
regarding my particular whistleblowing experience as a former educator, and I figured I would do that. Even though I've written a book about it, and the book is titled Where the Finger Points, uh, I think it's like five or six bucks on Amazon. You don't, again, you don't have to buy it or anything. It's, it's rather old, but what I figured I would do is, is I would, at the very least, describe the entire situation in, in detail as, as best I can, and I would do that for Friday's episode. So I wanted to create a separate episode just for that. So again, if somebody was interested in, in hearing about that particular story, then I would have a place where they could, of course, just link right to it and, and listen to it if they were interested. Fortunately, most of these people that I'm going to mention are either retired, uh, and, and again, some of them probably still work in the environment, but I really don't care. I'm going to describe them as people. I'm going to mention as many names as I can recall, and I'm going to go through the entire uh, situation one more time here in its entirety rather than just bringing up sporadic examples as I've done on the show. So again, if you're interested in listening to that, that will be on Friday. At least that's my plan. Other than that, have a great Thanksgiving. There will be no episode on Monday, but I will be back next Wednesday with a brand new one. So there you go. God bless everybody. Take care. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.